Okay. Welcome to Progressive News Network, our Sunday show. I'm Janine Moloff, the producer and host. Uh, we do a Sunday show which delves into news stories in more depth than the average broadcast. Uh, we also sometimes do an overview. Depends on what things are like down on the ground. And if you saw our advert this week, it says Progressive News Network, or PNN, with me, Janine Moloff. And the headline is Trump leaked intelligence to Russia. Was he an asset? And if you look at the advert, I will make a few corrections because, again, I'm not an attorney, so when I make a mistake, I'm willing to do so. So this week, I'm going to discuss several things, and we're going to take things a bit out of order because, especially with Ukraine, because things on the ground keep changing radically. Um, We're going to be discussing in the second half of this broadcast, Donald Trump's entire career, uh, which really includes how he was courted by the Russians since the 1980s. And they were interested in him as, when they say an asset, basically a useful idiot that might be able to gain access to all sorts of intelligence uh, that the Russians would like without knowing it or maybe with knowing it. But, you know, by his own admission, Donald Trump and his family have admitted that the Trump Organization has accepted money from Russian interests for projects that no legitimate bank would touch. I mean, he's gone bankrupt more times than I can count. Uh, Most of his projects do lose money. And according to these reports, it's highly possible that Donald Trump was what they call an asset or, like they said before, a useful idiot. Uh, somebody who leaked sensitive intelligence to the Russians. Now, Trump is yet to be criminally indicted by the Department of Justice, but we can certainly push for this very needed outcome. Now, allowing Russian diplomats access to, I wrote on the advert, allowing Russian diplomats access to U.S. intelligence is a crime, period. Um, It is and it isn't, so I'm making a correction here. Uh, Basically, any U.S. president can declassify classified uh, or secret or top secret information at their discretion. Now, that being said, the information that was shared with the Russians that Donald Trump willingly allowed them access to had not been declassified. So it still may be a crime. Again, I'm not an attorney, but I wanted to make that slight uh, correction there. Um, the other thing to say is this, everyone involved in this leaking of vital intelligence should have already been at the very least criminally investigated and, yeah, probably indicted and forced to basically put up bail and surrender their passports. Because this has to do with our national security. Um, we don't yet know if the leaked intelligence helped embolden Putin to, to invade Ukraine. But it's not a wild theory. Now, that's, that's our big story. And a big part of that information, we have documentation, articles from the Washington Post, uh, NPR, which is National Public Radio, and some others. But in particular, I found this enormous report called, referred to as the Moscow Report. And the Moscow Report has about six or seven chapters. And it is a report that was prepared by the Progressive Group Center for American 
progress. Now, they lean progressive, but they're actually nonpartisan, okay? So, um, and we're going to talk about Chapter 1 today in our second hour. And Chapter 1 deals with Donald Trump in the 80s and how he was really feted and courted by the Russians to, uh, you know, see them as the good guys, even though Russia remains an enemy state. So that's going to be Chapter 1. And what we're going to do, unless things change drastically, is present a new chapter each week because the chapters are very are very long, and there's quite a bit of documentation. Um, then we're going to reverse things a little bit. What I said our second story would be is actually our first story, and that deals with the simple fact that Vladimir Putin's attack on Ukraine is not only illegal, it's an obvious move to begin what I consider to be a full attack on the rest of Europe. And this will be, in my opinion, an editorial on the subject. And then, of course, we have our jackass of the week. And that dubious honor goes to the most conservative member of the U.S. Senate, Senator Mike Lee of Utah. And apparently Senator Mike Lee believes that democracy, get this, democracy impairs freedom. I don't know where he gets that type of insane logic, but that's what it is. And, you know, keep in mind, Senator Lee comes, you know, I looked up his bio, and his father worked in the Reagan administration. So he comes not only from affluence, but he comes from a political family with lots of connections. When he finished law school, Senator Lee uh, um, clerked for then-federal judge Samuel Alito. And let's face it, now he's on the Supreme Court, and Judge Alito has never been a friend to popular Democratic rule, you know. He views most of us as a bunch of idiots. So that's our show, and hopefully I will do the material justice. Oh, one other thing. In case anybody decides to call, this is me presenting and having a discussion and presenting a report. I am not preparing. I am not, not going to take phone calls, uh, especially hostile ones, because, again, Myself and my colleagues, we pay for this airtime. So I'm not about to have somebody call and be basically an airtime freeloader. So if you call, understand that I will read your phone number over the air. Just saying. This is not Fox. It's not that kind of show. All right, so let's, let's start with Ukraine. Okay. Now, we know it's, I think it's been 12 days now since Vladimir Putin invaded Ukraine. He had no right to, and he's been giving some very dubious ideas as, regarding his excuses. Uh, the most asinine one is, according to Putin, he was going to denazify Ukraine. You know, forgetting the inconvenient fact that the president of Ukraine, President Zelensky, is Jewish. Now, I've heard from people outside the Jewish community say, well, Zelensky is just Jewish by heritage. You know, he doesn't practice it in the Orthodox sense. Now, mind you, these are coming from non-Jews. Non-Jews quite often who, in this country, they, I happen to be Jewish, they see our community in stereotyped ways. The fact is a sizable majority of Jews in the United States are not what you call observant in the orthodox sense. 
and there's more than one form. There's conservative, there's reform, um, and so on and so forth. And, you know, the last time I checked, when Hitler came marching in to basically commit a genocide, murdering millions of Jews, he really didn't bother to stop and ask whether or not they were religiously observant. That was kind of irrelevant. So those of you that are outside the Jewish community making those type of remarks, to borrow a phrase from the popular vernacular, you need to shut your damn pie hole because you don't know what you're talking about. And I'm getting really sick of it. I'm just saying. I am so tired of hearing that nonsense, I could scream. By the way, when Hitler pursued the Jews, as well as people with disabilities and the LGBTQ community and what we called, we used to call gypsies, the Roma people, a big part of his, his um, genocide against Jews had nothing to do with religion. It was about the fact that Jews in Europe at that time were not considered solely white. We were considered, quote, mixed race. That's what he meant by a mud race. Not black, not white, mixed. And as such, we had to be eradicated. Hitler borrowed ideas on that racial purity that he used against Jews and the Roma people uh, from the Jim Crow South. So Hitler attacking Jews during the Second World War was all about racism. And the fact that Zelensky is not an observant Jew, again, when it comes to anti-Semitism, it doesn't matter. I don't tell Christians about their faith. They damn well better not tell me about mine. Because that takes a special kind of arrogant privilege. So let's get into this. So once again, Putin's saying he wants to denazify Ukraine, even though the president of Ukraine is Jewish, even though there are still quite a few Ukrainian Jews that feel perfectly comfortable living under Zelensky's rule. There wasn't a problem. There may have been some alt-right and some neo-Nazis throughout the country, just as there is quite a few of them in Russia, by the way, but it wasn't the majority. And Zelensky, you know, once again, we need to get past that. That's a really incredibly stupid excuse that Putin offered. So basically the Ukrainian people have been fleeing, mainly women, children, and elderly, practically a million people, have left Ukraine in 12 days. Let that sink in. Their cities and towns and villages are being mercilessly bombed and shelled. Their nuclear power plants have been attacked. Think about that for a minute, including Chernobyl. You know, people are worried that there's going to, if we cross Putin, he's going to send a nuclear bomb and it's going to be a, a nuclear war. Well, guess what? Putin already shot, fired the first shot when he had his people bomb nuclear power plants or anywhere near it. It wouldn't have the same force maybe as a nuclear device, but it would have the effect of a dirty bomb, which would be a massive release of radioactive materials making the entire area unlivable. Okay, so we've got all that going on, and basically, you know, as you know, the United States, as well as the EU leaders, have imposed some sanctions, economic sanctions against Russia. 
which again helps somewhat. They've imposed sanctions against some of the oligarchs that are closest to Putin. But they waited too long. The minute Putin marched into Ukraine and started firing shots, that's when the sanctions should have started. Because Putin and his allies have had 12 days to move funds around and to evade the sanctions. And by the way, a lot of the sanctions have so many loopholes you could drive an 18-wheeler through them. But that's what's happening. The Ukrainian people, the men that are, and some of the women that are left behind are fighting incred- with, with such courage. And yet our nation, as well as, the U- as well as the EU, is refusing to even impose a no-fly zone because they're giving in to Putin's demands. He saber rattles with the nuclear issue and threatens, just as Hitler did before him, and they go, hmm, we just can't, we can't do a no-fly zone. You know, he might attack us next. It takes a special brand of coward to do what the EU and our nation's doing by refusing to impose a no-fly zone. It just does. Now, just recently, um, members of Congress, both uh, both the uh, House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate, about 280 of them all together, they had a Zoom call with President Zelensky. And, you know, the, the people that work with Zelensky told the legislatures, legislators, that is, do not share this information or any pictures on social media because Zelensky's already evaded two serious assassination attempts. So what happened? <laughs> Marco Rubio, two senators, both Republicans. Um, the, let me see now. Marco Rubio, Florida, is up for re-election. And Senator Steve Daines of Montana both posted screenshots to Twitter during the meeting. Now, when you post a screenshot like that in the middle of a meeting, again, I'm not an IT person. Could it be um, traced to source to find Zelensky's location? It's possible. They were told not to do it, but they did it anyway. Okay? They were told before the meeting. Specifically, that sharing images of Delinsky during the meeting could put his life at risk. And that is as reported by NBCNews.com. So after being told that in very clear language, Senator Steve Daines of Montana and Senator Marco Rubio of Florida posted the screenshot to Twitter during the damn meeting. Now, Zelensky's location is kept a secret. Now, it's easy to say both Senator Daines and Marco Rubio should hang their heads in shame, but it's far worse than that. Keep in mind, Putin didn't just threaten the life of Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. Putin put out a hit, an assassination hit, on President Zelensky, on his wife, and on his two young children. Both under both elementary school age. Now it takes a special kind of thug, coward, to put a hit 
an assassination attempt on somebody's young children. But he did. Okay? So what makes matters worse, now both Senator Daines and Senator Rubio, they were um, criticized by fellow lawmakers and observers on social media. But what makes this worse is that Marco Rubio is the vice chair of the Select Committee on Intelligence, and yet he put another leader's life possibly in danger by violating just basic intelligence protocols. Now, I have a few questions about that. First of all, the Democrats are still in charge of the Senate. They're the majority, maybe not by a lot, but they are. Why the Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer had any vice chairs on any committees, and including Republicans, beyond me. You can pretty well guess the Republicans wouldn't have shared power with Democrats, and they haven't. Now, Rubio needs to have his vice chairmanship on that committee revoked immediately. And he needs to be um, censured as well, both Senator Daines and Senator Rubio. Furthermore, they should face some sort of um, some sort of investigation. They should be questioned by intelligence pros and by Department of Justice. Now, keep in mind, when listen to the hypocrisy of this. When then, when comedian Kathy Griffin made a joke about Donald Trump, and she held up what was obviously a dummy's head, with you know looking like it had been severed from a mannequin's body, and it was. It was cartoonish looking. It was obviously a joke. She was visited by the FBI and questioned and threatened. But Senator Daines and Senator Rubio can put a, a, the leader of an ally, namely Ukraine, in danger by refusing to follow the most basic of intelligence protocols and nothing happens to them? Oh, no. No, no, no. I, you know, once again, I, I look forward to the day that Val Demings defeats Marco Rubio and sends that little coward home. And then, again, Rubio should still be investigated. This is outrageous. But it gets worse. Rubio is also against establishing a no-fly zone. Now, what does this have to do with Trump as a Russian agent? Well, you have to remember something. Marco Rubio, to put bluntly, is kissing ass. He just is. Donald Trump lit the political world on fire by doing the easiest thing possible. He made it socially acceptable for white supremacists and, yes, neo-Nazis to be open about their various bigotries. You know, it, essentially Donald Trump has made the political lynch mob socially acceptable, as long as those doing the lynching are white Christian bigots, and those being lynched are minorities. That's what happened. And Rubio knows it, and he wants to get in good again, so he's appealing to the mob. And he knows, Marco Rubio's not stupid. He's an attorney. He knows that he violated basic security protocol. He doesn't care. Now he's against any sort of no-fly zone over Ukraine, and his his excuse is it could be, quote, the beginning of World War III. Well, Senator Rubio, you know, this show is heard in Florida, even though I'm in St. Louis. And 
Senator Rubio, I, I know you're not a stupid man, but that's a stupid remark. World War III already began. It began the day that Vladimir Putin ordered troops into Ukraine and started shooting. It began the, World War III began the day that Vladimir Putin decided to saber rattle with the nuclear issue. The question is, are the allies in the EU and the United States and Canada, are they going to be more like Winston Churchill facing Hitler down? Are they going to be morons like Neville Chamberlain and just do appeasement? Which, by the way, appeasement, as a Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, their previous policy of appeasement, it doesn't work. When we are dealing with an insane dictator like Putin, it never will work. They see it as weakness. They will just be emboldened. All appeasement really is, is unilateral surrender. And you're basically gambling on the idea that if you trade in your freedom to become a slave, at least you'll still be alive. That's what it is. So, Rubio's against the no-fly zone. To quote Rubio, he was on this week with George Stephanopoulos, quote, I think people need to understand what a no-fly zone means. It's not some rule you pass that everybody has to oblige by. It's the willingness to shoot down the aircrafts of the Russian Federation, which is basically the beginning of World War III. Oh, end quote. So, all right. So what, what does Senator Rubio suggest we do? Have a tea party with Vlad? Seriously. Once again, this Rubio issued this statement after the Zoom call between our lawmakers, U.S. lawmakers, and President Zelensky. And in the Zoom call, Zelensky by no small coincidence, quote, reiterated his request for the West to implement, guess what, a no-fly zone over his country, end quote. Now, Zelensky also said that if that couldn't be done, he asked for planes so they could fight back. And this is according to multiple members of Congress that basically said this after participating in that Zoom call. So George Stephanopoulos, asked Rubio about a deal with Poland to supply aircraft. And Stephanopoulos mentioned that Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said that the U.S. is, quote, actively looking at this. And Stephanopoulos asked the following, quote, how about this provision of fighter jets? We would provide the fighter jets to Poland, other Eastern European nations. They would send the jets they now have to Ukraine. Do you support that? Rubio's response, quote, I do, if that can be done, that would be great. I do have concerns about a couple of things, and that is sort of, you know, can they actually fly them given the amount of anti-aircraft capability that the Russians possess and continue to deploy it in the region? But generally speaking, it's something I'd be supportive, end quote. Talk about double talk. Maybe, maybe Poland's military, their air, their air force doesn't have that level of expertise, but we do. And Ukraine is an ally. Now, um, Stephanopoulos asked Rubio also about banning Russian oil imports, uh, and Rubio's pretty much for that. But, you know, once again, it's very suspicious that Marco Rubio 
came out against a no-fly zone after the Zoom call and trying to make his position look legitimate by appearing on This Week with George Stephanopoulos after he had already compromised Zelensky's safety by sharing um, sharing the connection in the Zoom in the Zoom call. Okay, if you or I had done what Senator Daines and Senator Rubio did, we would be sitting in a jail cell right now. Why isn't Congress held to Why isn't Congress made to to obey? the same laws as the rest of us. One other thing, according to this story, which was on MSN.com, Rubio wants to block importing Russian oil. Okay? He doesn't want to do that. And Senator Tom Cotton was on the news earlier saying pretty much the same thing. Let's face it, American oil barons, especially uh, along the Permian uh, group in, in Texas, will make a lot more money. So this wasn't about the Ukraine's, Ukrainian people. This was about making more money. But, you know, Rubio doesn't want to, he wants to block importing Russian oil, but he do, he's totally opposed to a no-fly zone. Even though that a, a, nu- a no-fly zone over Ukraine's airspace could actually prevent a nuclear strike against the EU, against the United States, against Canada. But once again, you know, Marco Rubio is living a very privileged life, and he is kissing the butt of the Trump GOP. Okay? And then we need to look at, you know, we've seen different reports that have come out on the mainstream media. Give me a second, folks. Last thing going on, I had to change my report altogether. Um, We've seen on the news where they show their shelling and stuff, but then we seen we see some reports saying that, you know, the Russian soldiers. There was one report I saw where um, they went, they were in an elevator in some sort of high-rise, I guess, a government building, and the Ukrainians basically turned off the electric, so they were stuck there. I thought that was pretty that was pretty smart. Uh, We've seen stories in the mainstream media of how Russian soldiers are just leaving their tanks when their tanks run out of gas, and they're, you know, surrendering. And it makes it look like it's not as horrible as it is. You know, CNN as well as Al Jazeera have something else to say. And we're talking today, all right? There's a piece by CNN, and it was written by uh, Tamara Kiblawi and Gianluca Mezfiore. Um, it was published, I would say, a couple of hours ago now. So it's 42 minutes ago, but this is copy and paste a couple of hours ago. Um, and it, the headline is, quote, they shoot at anyone who tries to leave. Uh, Ukrainians describe terror of living under Russian occupation. And they describe what's happening in this smaller port city on the Black Sea, southern Ukraine, uh, a port city called Kherson. And they were overrun by Russian forces in the wee hours of the morning on Wednesday. They suffered uh, several days of heavy bombardment and shell and shelling. The mayor of Kolihev, I'm, I'm sure I'm mangling his name, the mayor of Kherson, um, you know, announced that basically Russian troops were everywhere 
This is a small city of about 300,000 people. They are without power. They do not have access to water, and they're in need of humanitarian aid. You know, he goes on to say there was absolutely no medical aid for cancer patients or sick children. To quote the mayor, quote, we have a lot of people here in need. We have cancer patients, children who need medication. This medication is not currently getting through to them. Okay? Now, end quote. And the mayor after that added that the rush, uh, supposedly the Russians wanted to send aid, but the residents were refusing it. Well, if I were in their position and an enemy who was trying to kill everybody suddenly offered me medicine, I wouldn't trust it either. Okay? These are people, you have to understand, one of the, one of the most horrible, most horrible um, incidents during the Holocaust happened in Ukraine. And so there's still a lot of memory back there. President Zelensky, you know, those of you outside the Jewish community who claim he's not observant, so he's not a real Jew, quote, unquote. President Zelensky's grandfather fought the Nazis. And his grandfather had three brothers that did not survive the Holocaust. So to Zelensky, yes, this is very personal. Um, there are checkpoints in this small city of um, Kherson. And they're manned by Russian troops. The roads are basically empty. Um, people have either tried to escape or they're just remaining indoors. Grocery stores are emptied. Medicine is almost non-existent. Russian, to quote from the article, quote, Russian troops have encircled the city and are shooting at anyone who attempts to leave, according to the residents, including a top local health official who CNN is not naming for security reasons, end quote. Okay. Um, Russian troops, they also, what also happens, Russian troops have prohibited any ambulances from leaving the city of Kyrgyzstan to try and reach villages in the province. Okay. So this is what's really going on. Okay. Um, Ukrainian authorities have been working to try and create some, uh, some sort of safe exit of civilians from all sorts of uh, war zones within Ukraine, and they've been in negotiations with Moscow. And on Saturday, as you probably heard on some of the other media, Russia did agree to basically stop fire. They would hold their fire from 9 a.m. Kiev time, and that there would be these humanitarian corridors which would let residents escape the southern cities of Mariupol and Vol. Volnovaka. Okay, so it looked like, okay, the Russians were going to let these people, these civilians escape. Didn't last long. According to CNN.com, the agreement fell apart very quickly. The evacuations of civilians were stalled. Um, and then the Ukrainian government has gone record accusing Russian forces that they're shelling the cities, and the Ukrainians are also saying that the Russians are targeting, specifically targeting, the evacuation corridors. Okay? According to President Zelensky, quote, surrounded cities that are being destroyed are experiencing the worst days. Humanitarian corridors must work today. Maripol, Volnovaka. 
to save people, women, children, the elderly, to give food and medicine to those who remain. This is the situation, and still EU leaders and our leaders here in the United States and Canada refuse, refuse to impose a no-fly zone. Okay. Now, while the sanctions are helpful up to a point, sanctions don't stop bullets. Sanctions don't stop bombs. It's really that simple. And Putin's people have been violating international law. Again, they were targeting those evacuation corridors that had been identified and agreed to by Moscow and by Zelensky. Okay? This is what's happening. Uh, according to this woman, Yulia Alexeva, she's a mother, she has a two-month-old, and she has a grandmother with dementia. Um, she's basically been sheltering in place. To quote what she said, she said, quote, we are in hiding. There is a curfew in the city. If people go out after 8 in the evening, they shoot to kill. You can move in the company of no more than two people. Okay? Now, there are people in politics, in diplomacy, and in the corporate mainstream media that say, we shouldn't compare Putin to Hitler. I disagree. It is painfully obvious to any serious student of history that Vladimir Putin is literally following Hitler's playbook. That type of trickery and deceit. When Hitler had undesirables, Jews, disabled people, um, anybody with uh, Slavic people, whatever, that type of cruel trickery and deceit it is, is just very paramount. They were told, strip down. This was during the Holocaust, it is. We're going to give you showers, and they gassed them to death. This is no different what's happening in Ukraine now. They worked out a negotiation on Saturday that would allow evacuation uh, corridors. And then, according to the Ukrainians, it looked like the Russian government under Vladimir Putin specifically targeted those evacuation corridors for attack. So basically they were, Putin the coward was having, was ordering an attack on women, children, and elderly. You know, it's clear throughout this entire thing that Vladimir Putin's been attacking strictly civilian uh, areas. Period. Okay. But there was one quote in this story that said it all to me. I have to really, I have such respect for the people of Ukraine. Um, this um, one woman said, made this one statement that was so, so definitive of what the Ukrainian people are fighting for. She said, quote, we're less afraid to be under bombs than to become a part of Russia, end quote. To me, that says it all. They don't want to live under a, an insane, brutal dictator like Vladimir Putin, period. 
That's it. Now there's talk again, and I know I'm kind of going through this a lot, that Putin is going to declare martial law in Russia. Now Zelensky declared martial law in Ukraine, um, and specifically it was that any man from age 18 to 16 had to remain in the country to fight because they weren't, the Ukrainians aren't getting any real military help. They are on their own. Yeah, there are sanctions. But the EU, the United States of Canada, has, Canada has not sent a single bit of military assistance. Not at all. So it made sense that Zelensky declared martial law because he needs people to fight. Women, children, and elderly are allowed to leave. But Putin, on the other hand, he's declaring martial law because as we've seen on the mainstream media up till now, there are thousands of Russians, mainly young people, that are protesting against this war. They're protesting against Putin. And just recently, the uh, what I call it, the Duma, whatever, basically the Russian version of Congress or Parliament, um, was, I think, passing a law that if you gave any sort of misinformation, what they call misinformation about the war, or even called it a war, that could give you 15 years in prison. Legitimate leaders don't need to do that. But he has to squelch any dissent in Russia. Now, this law, yeah, basically it's, they were looking at a 15-year jail sentence for people who spread false news about the war. And that was as documented by USA Today. Okay. And thousands have been arrested thus far for being part of these anti-war protests, again, according to usatoday.com. Now, you have to remember, people ask, why is Russia so worried? You know, they, they claim that, well, Ukraine's part of Russia. Well, maybe. You know, I don't think so. Ukraine broke off in 1991 and formed their own nation. They didn't want to be part of Russia. They didn't want to live under a dictatorship. It's understandable. Now, they've had a spotted history, but that's not the point. Um, Ukraine has been recognized as an independent nation since 1991. Ukraine was doing pretty well financially, so why is Putin going after them? Well, I have a few theories. <clears throat> Excuse me. One of the theories is Putin's own anti-Semitism. Make no mistake about it. Russia is right with anti-Semitism. Always has been. You know, I'm the granddaughter of Russian immigrants. Now, they escaped the pogroms. It wasn't Fiddler on the Roof, okay? That story really whitewashed the situation. What my grandparents escaped from as little children, there was no warning. The pogroms would, you know, they had these little huts. The pogroms would just literally stampede the door down on horseback, they would bayonet babies. Yes, I said that. They would bayonet babies, murder people. My own great-grandmother escaped barely with her life right after she had given birth, and she had to hide in the snowbank. Minutes after giving birth. I don't know how she managed it. You know, there, there's, believe me, no Jew wants to live in Russia, period. So the anti-Semitism has been there before communism and after. And definitely with Putin. So 
So the fact, just like racists in this country, their heads exploded when a black man became president, namely President Barack Obama, it's distinctly possible that Putin's head exploded when the Jew became president of Ukraine. But I think there's several reasons, one of which is Russia wants control of warm water seaport, which is why they went up to Crimea first. And then they went up to Belarus. They were forming a semicircle. And if I were a person who lived in the EU, I would be very worried about Putin. Because the EU leaders, whether it's President Macron or uh, Prime Minister Boris Johnson of, you know, of England, whatever, you look at the geography. Putin takes Ukraine, and he's blocked off everything else. He's controlled the, the area around the Black Sea now. He's got Russia to the back. He's got Belarus to the north. Europe's next. I don't know what these EU leaders are thinking when they say, we don't want to know fly zone because that might start World War III. It's already started. Look at the geography. Ukraine falls, then Germany, France, Spain, England, everything is next. Period. Just a week ago, President Putin threatened, I think it was Sweden and Finland, that if they entered into any of this any of the sanctions, they were going to be attacked next. That was what he was inferring anyway. What does it take? And this speaks to the cowardice of NATO. You know, Putin claims that his real excuse is that he doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO. Well, it makes perfect sense for the Ukrainians to want to be part of NATO. If they were already part of NATO, the NATO alliance would be obligated to provide military assistance, which is what we should have been doing all along. But, and Putin knows this. Putin is banking on EU leaders being the 21st century equivalent of the cowardice of Neville Chamberlain, somebody who was out of touch, too privileged to contemplate that, that someone like Hitler would lie about their intentions. Putin's lying too. It's all about what he can get away with. So now we have another piece from Al Jazeera. <clears throat> Excuse me published just yesterday, and the, head, the headline says, NATO rejects no-fly zone, Ukraine slams green light for bombs. And it is. There is no sophisticated analysis here. It's quite simple. Now, and Ukraine, you know, their government's saying that because NATO decided there would be no no-fly, that, that basically no-fly zone would not happen, of course Putin feels like he, the path is clear for him to bomb even further. And he has. Okay? Now, this article quotes the Secretary General of NATO, someone named Jen Stoltenberg. And Secretary General Stoltenberg announced this decision after a meeting of the 30-member alliance in Brussels. Stoltenberg said that helping Ukraine protect its skies from Russian missiles and warplanes would require that NATO forces would have to shoot down Russian aircraft. Duh. And Stoltenberg was afraid that that 
particular action would result in, quote, a full-fledged war in Europe involving many more countries. And he went on to say, quote, we're not, we are not part of this conflict, end quote. What world is Stoltenberg living in? Of course you're part of the conflict. Look at the geography. Mark my words. Once Ukraine falls, the rest of Europe is next. And if you look at the geography, Germany will be next, followed by France and some other parts. Looks a lot like what Hit looks almost identical to what Hitler did in 1938. Stoltenberg went on to say, quote, we have a responsibility as NATO allies to prevent this war from escalating beyond Ukraine because that would be even more dangerous, more devastating, and would cause even more human suffering, end quote. So apparently, NATO forces and the Secretary General of NATO, Mr. Stoltenberg, is fine with Ukrainian lives being murdered, with Ukrainian children losing their parents, with Ukrainian children being murdered by Russian forces. Apparently, NATO is fine with Ukraine being the acceptable political collateral damage to purchase their own safety. That's what's happening. To me, it looks like NATO is telling Putin, you know what, you can have Ukraine. We'll slap your hand a little bit, but you can have Ukraine as long as you don't attack us. Takes a special kind of moral cowardice to sink that low. Just does. And I said, this is an editorial today and a very, uh, a very uh, angry editorial. To me, the Secretary General of NATO, Jen Stoltenberg, again, sounds like a Neville Chamberlain clone. And, of course, President Zelensky criticized the decision. And Zelensky said the following, quote, today there was a NATO summit, a weak summit, a confused summit, a summit where it was clear that not everyone considers the battle for Europe's freedom to be the number one goal. Today, the leadership of the alliance gave the green light for further bombing of Ukrainian cities and villages, having refused to set up a no-fly zone, end quote. And he's right. NATO decided that Ukraine was acceptable collateral damage. They decided to sacrifice the Ukrainians in the hopes of purchasing their own safety. They're putting, the EU is putting their own cowardly skins ahead of saving fellow human beings. That's it. Okay. Zelensky um, really tore NATO a new one, and I don't blame him for being bitter and angry. He went on to say, quote, all the people who die from this day forward will also die because of you, because of your weakness, because of your lack of unity, end quote. Yeah. Exactly it. Exactly it. Keep in mind, during World War II, the United States came very close. You can check the history books, the real history books. The United States came very close to fighting in World War II to either remaining neutral or fighting on the side of the Axis, of the on the side of Nazis. There were German-American bunds throughout the United States that agreed with Hitler. They agreed with the Holocaust. The United States didn't come together 
to fight against Hitler until after we were bombed at Pearl Harbor. Period. And Europe is the same way. NATO won't come to Ukraine's aid until Putin is stupid enough to bomb something important to the Europeans. Okay? That's it in a nutshell. You know, if, if Putin were dumb enough to bomb, say, Buckingham Palace or um, uh, the Cathedral Chartres, and all of a sudden, the EU would be wanting to fight. And it's shameful. Now, it isn't just the EU, though. Our own U.S. Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, equally useless. Now, I believe Blinken is an Obama retread. And, yes, the people in the Obama administration that served with President Obama were all very well-educated, very bright, very academic. Um, but they had no clue as to what the real world was like. And Mr. Blinken is no exception. Uh, he's worried about, you know, while Secretary of State Blinken is worried about a messy war, quote, spilling over into the more affluent part of the, U- of the EU, Ukrainians are being abandoned. Sending alleged military support without troops only means that you're going to allow Russian troops to shoot Ukrainians with American-supplied bullets and bombs. Again, Lincoln sounded like another Neville Chamberlain clone. Lincoln did speak to reporters after the NATO meeting. He was there. He said the alliance was committed to, quote, doing everything we can to give the Ukrainian people the means to defend themselves against Russia. Lincoln went on to say, quote, but we also have a responsibility, as the Secretary General said, to ensure the war doesn't spill over beyond Ukraine. Okay. So, you know, basically Blinken, you know, he went on, he basically said that, yeah, we can send military support, but we're not going to send troops. Okay. So let's say we send bullets and bombs. All that's going to happen is Russian troops are going to just shoot Ukrainians with American bullets and bombs that we gave them because they're not allowing anybody else to escape. And I don't know what Mr. Blinken is thinking. You know, I have no use for alleged public servants who lack the integrity to stand up to an executive and say, no, sir, no, ma'am, this is not correct. You know, part of your professional responsibility is to say, no, that's not correct, and I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Uh, There was more top EU diplomat Joseph Borrell said, quote, it's Putin's war and only Putin can end it. Uh, And he went on to say, if someone expects that sanctions can stop the war tomorrow, they don't know what they're talking about, end quote. Well, that's true. Sanctions alone won't stop it. And apparently the EU doesn't really care. They say, to me, this looks like a policy of appeasement. It just does. It looks like the EU has decided, along with the United States and Canada, that 
if we just let Putin take Ukraine, he'll leave the rest of us alone, which is absolute lunacy. You know, once again, why do you think Putin wanted Crimea and Belarus? Especially Crimea, warm water seaport and control of it. You look at where Russian forces have taken over. It forces people to escape only one direction towards the rest of Europe. Everything else is cut off. So basically, these NATO countries need to understand if they don't fight Putin now and help the Ukrainians, Putin's going to keep pushing until he pushes NATO countries into the sea. Seriously. Appeasing him isn't going to work. It just isn't. Um, and, and once again, it isn't just Putin, his top lieutenants, his oligarchs. Even the sanctions that have been used have too many loopholes. The sanctions, first, and they were done too late. The minute Putin stepped foot in Ukraine and started attacking, that same hour, Sanctions should have been in place, not just sanctions, loophole-proof sanctions, and every every penny of oligarch money, wherever it's kept around the world, at least outside of Russia, all those accounts frozen, just like you would to a mafia boss. Furthermore, American companies that do business in Russia, especially manufacturing, should be told. We're at war now. You either leave and bring the manufacturing base back here to the U.S., or you will be charged with aiding and abetting an enemy state. And this is not new, all right? Right now there's reports that McDonald's is remaining and doing business in, in Russia. So is PepsiCo. Quite a few fast food places. And that's money put into the Russian economy. And that's not anything new. During World War II, after the United States started fighting in World War II, the Ford Motor Company continued to supply parts to Hitler's forces, to their tanks, to their trucks, and so on and so forth. Was Henry Ford arrested for treason? No, he was not. He should have been, but he wasn't. And why? Because white, generic Christian. In the meanwhile, Japanese Americans, who are just as American as anybody else, were arrested and put into concentration camps because of the color of their skin, even though they were loyal Americans. All this is still goes back to intrinsic racism, white supremacy. And when you say racism and white supremacy, That's the core of Nazism. Wake up. I know I'm going on a tangent today, and I I thought I wasn't going to, but this has really gotten to me. So, you know, once again, you don't have to look any further than the geography. So all American businesses should have been forced to leave Russia. In fact, I'll go further. American businesses in China that do especially do manufacturing should have also been told to leave because word has gotten out 
and leaked through the New York Times and some other media as well that the Chinese dictator knew this attack against Ukraine was going to happen and that when he met with Putin on February 4th, the Chinese dictator basically asked Putin to wait until after the Olympics were done to begin his invasion. That's collusion. It's not just collusion, it's beginning to look like conspiracy. Now, there are some, uh, some media reports that are disputing the veracity of that claim. I don't know. I, I do find it ironic, though, that during the Olympics, when I saw Putin standing and looking chummy with the Chinese dictator, I was thinking, huh, you know what? Maybe this is all a nice sideshow to distract everybody. And then right after the Olympics, he'll attack. Now, I was just joking, but horrible joke, I know. But turns out that's exactly what happened. Um, and even the talks with Zelensky, keep in mind what happened. Saturday, there were talks. They were trying to work out a way that refugees could leave. And then shortly after the talks, Russian forces began bombing those same evacuation routes, bombing civilians. And these civilians would have been women, children, and the elderly. The height of cowardice. I have a theory. I suspect that those talks that Putin sent his director of cultural affairs to, not a diplomat, somebody who had no power, that, showed, that, that was an insult right there, actually. Putin was thumbing his nose at Zelensky when he sent the cultural attache to Russia to, to the, these talks. Okay? I suspect my theory is that those talks, Putin, and every time Putin wants to have talks, that's a delaying tactic. That's a smokescreen. Because Putin won't keep his word anyway. And when you have those talks, that's the time for the rest of us to be on high alert because that's when a sneak thief really attacks. And that's what Vladimir Putin is. He is one of the dirtiest sneak thieves out there. Keep in mind, Putin's entire career, outside of being basically what they call president for life, was in the KGB. There used to be a, a, a saying, once KGB Always KGB. KGB is basically the worst. They're Russia's, they were Russia's version of the Gestapo. Need I say more? Okay. So that's what's happening there. Now, we know that there are Trump Republicans, like Fox commentator Colonel McGregor, that are speaking these propagandistic lies that benefit Russia. And these Trump Republicans are not innocent bystanders. They want a second Trump term. But there's a boatload of evidence that Donald Trump compromised national security by sharing classified intelligence with the Russian government, practically from the start of his administration. There's also evidence that Donald Trump acted as what could be considered a Russian asset, against, again, against the best interests of the United States. Now, I'm looking at the time here. I don't know if we're going to get to chapter one of the Moscow Project because it's very long. Um, we probably won't today. It will be continued on next week, and I apologize. So the first story about Trump 
compromising national security, sharing intelligence with the Russians, okay, which is what Russia wanted all along. From NPR, now this is a story, it was written by Jessica Taylor. It report it dates back to 2017. Um, and the headline was, Trump gave classified information to Russians during White House visits. There's real evidence that backs this up, which shows that the GOP should have cooperated with Democrats to not only impeach Donald Trump, but remove him from office. And they should have removed him from office if for no other reason than malfeasance and compromising our national security. Even if Trump did it inadvertently, let's call him a useful idiot for Russia. It doesn't matter if he intended to do that or not. What matters is that when somebody is that erratic, that um, ill-educated, that careless with information, they're too dangerous to be allowed to remain in the presidency not when our national security is at stake. But the GOP did nothing. So according to this report, Trump did reveal, quote, highly classified information uh, to apparently two top Russian officials during an Oval Office meeting. Um, and that was according to a report from the Washington Post. And this, is the, um, this happened in May of 2017. Now, the Washington Post cited current and former U.S. officials, and they reported that um, basically that meeting, information was relayed by Trump to, then, to Russian Foreign Minister Ser Sergei Lavrov and Ambassador Sergei Kis Kislyak, and that this particular information, this highly classified information, quote, jeopardized the critical source of intelligence regarding ISIS. To quote, the partner had not given the United States permission to share the material with Russia. An official said Trump's decision to do so endangers cooperation from an ally that has access to the inner workings of the Islamic State. After Trump's meeting, senior White House officials took steps to contain the damage, placing calls to the CIA and the National Security Agency. It gets worse. According to this article, again, in May of 2017, Trump shared what's called code word information with Russia. And this was a U.S. official said, quote, this is code word information. Um, that this source went on, unnamed source went on to say that, quote, Trump, quote, revealed more information to the Russian ambassador than we have shared with our own allies, end quote. Now, the terminology code word information speaks to, it's basically one of the highest classification levels that are used by American spy agencies, okay? And Trump is so clueless, so stupid, that supposedly he boasted to the Russians about this intelligence because, you know, they flatter him and he, you know, he responded to it. And, quote, he said, uh, telling the two ambassadors, quote, I give, I'm going to try and imitate, I give great intel. I have people brief me on great intel every day, end quote. 
And it goes on another quote saying, quote, Trump went on to discuss aspects of the threat that the United States learned only through the espionage capabilities of a key partner. Okay? And now, it is also reported that Trump didn't reveal, he didn't reveal specific intelligence, the specific intelligence gathering method, but that Trump described how the Islamic State was, was pursuing, quote, elements of a specific plot and how much harm that an attack could cause um, under varying circumstances. Um, but most importantly, Trump revealed the city in the Islamic State's territory where our, the U.S. intelligence partners said they detected a threat. Now, um, it goes on to say, quote, the Washington Post is withholding most plot details, including the name of the city, with the urging of officials who warned that revealing them would jeopardize important intelligence capabilities. And that is to the Washington Post credit. Okay? They cared more about national security than the president of the time did. Now, Greg Miller is one of the Washington Post reporters that broke that story. Miller told NPR's Ari Shapiro on a segment of All Things Considered that when Trump gave this information to the Russians, that it could damage first, uh, future intelligence gathering as well as our relationships with other uh, partners and this, Miller went on to say, quote, let's see now, I lost that. Yeah, this is not intelligence the United States gathered or owned. It wasn't up to the United States to share. And so doing, so really, I'm sorry, and, and so doing really jeopardizes that relationship. It potentially damages trust that's critical in these kinds of arrangements. And I think that's one of the really big worries here. And in this case, it's important because this is apparently an ongoing stream of intelligence into Islamic State plotting. I mean, what could be more important, end quote. Okay? So BuzzFeed also confirmed the Washington Post report, and they cited an official, a U.S. official saying the disclosures that Trump gave to the Russians were, quote, far worse than what has already been reported, end quote. The New York Times Further went on, the New York Times also said that, quote, Trump's disclosure does not appear to have been illegal. The president has the power to declassify almost anything, end quote. Well, that's true. But the question is, did Trump declassify the information before he shared it? Okay, that's number one. If he didn't declassify it before he gave it to the Russians, then what the president did was a crime. And even if he did declassify it first, he still shared information with an enemy, namely Russia. Okay? And he violated the ally who was working with us. Now, here's where the, the timeline gets really cute. This is May of 2017. And... The day after Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, remember James Comey? That's the day Trump gave this highly classified information to the Russian ambassadors. You know, keep in mind, Comey was overseeing this investigation into Russian meddling in U.S. elections and then also ties between the Trump campaign and Russia. 
Now, this is something that, you know, you can, I can hear uh, conservatives screaming, oh, it's Russiagate, it's Hillarygate. Well, the thing is this, the timing looks, makes Trump look guilty. And you can complain all you like, but it doesn't change the fact that Trump gave access to highly classified information to ambassadors from an enemy state, namely Russia, period. Now, that's what we know of. We don't know how much more Trump may have damaged our national security just because of his own stupidity and his psychological vulnerability to flattery. We don't know. Okay? The visit between Trump and these two Russian ambassadors had other bad optics. Okay? Um, And one of it was that none of the U.S. media were allowed to document this meeting. Only a Russian foreign ministry, ministry photographer was allowed in. And then we have Trump's first national security advisor, according to this, Michael Flynn. He was forced to resign. And that was after we found out that um, Flynn had discussed Russian sanctions with Ambassador Kislyak. And then they say misled. I say lied to Vice President Pence about the conversations. It gets deeper. Then Attorney General Jeff Sessions, you know, who used to be Senator Jeff Sessions, he was forced to recuse himself from any involvement in the FBI's investigations into Russia. And he was forced to recuse himself because it was, this was, he had to do this after it was revealed that Sessions himself met with Kislyak two times. It gets worse. So Attorney General Jeff Sessions, Trump's first Attorney General, was forced to recuse himself from involvement in the FBI's investigations into Russia. And he was forced to do so after it was revealed that Sessions had met with Ambassador Kislyak two times. And that was after the fact that Sessions testified during his confirmation hearing that he hadn't had any contact with Russian officials. So Sessions lied to Congress during confirmation hearings as well. In other words, Jeff Sessions, um, you know, perjured himself, okay? So that it gets deeper, though, all right? Um, you have, an, at that time in 2017, National Security Advisor H.R. McMaster, who told reporters <clears throat> that, quote, the story that came out tonight as reported is false. McMaster goes on to say, quote, at no time were intelligence sources or methods discussed and the president did not disclose any military operations that were not already publicly known, end quote. Okay, I don't believe him, but except for one problem, the Washington Post story and subsequent reports after that never said that it was sources, methods, or military operations that were discussed. So why would McMaster even mention it? All those stories said was that classified information was leaked. That's it. Now, McMaster goes on to say, quote, I was in the room and it didn't happen. You know, he got caught in a lie. Nothing new there. But the Democrats didn't do enough either, all right? Um, and we're going to get into that later. Like, at the time, 
House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi said, issued a statement that said that, quote, Congress must be given a full briefing on the extent of the damage President Trump has done in compromising highly classified code word intelligence to the Russians. Even if President Trump unwittingly flew a highly classified code word source to the Russians, that would be dangerous enough. If the president outed a highly classified code word source intentionally, that would be even more dangerous, end quote. Wouldn't be just dangerous, it'd be treason. Especially if he did it on purpose. Again, there should have been more done. Okay, this particular, the, Washington, the original Washington Post piece should have triggered an immediate criminal investigation and a national security investigation. And Trump then should have been impeached and removed from office if for nothing else than and criminal malfeasance and outright incompetence. That's it. It's not partisan. We're just saying the man is incompetent to hold the office. And because of his incompetence, he poses a danger to our national security. Boom. Keep in mind, in my home state of Missouri, both uh, bo- uh, both U.S. senators, Republicans, voted against impeachment. Senator Blunt, who is a national GOP leader, refused to vote to impeach. It says something about Senator Blunt now, doesn't it? So it gets a little deeper. You know, the idea there's a piece from um, The Guardian, which is a British newspaper, and it's dated January 29, 2021. And, you know, basically it says, you know, quote, the perfect target, Russia cultivated Trump as asset for 40 years, KGB spy. Okay. So the question is, is Donald Trump a Russian asset? Now, an asset in spy lingo is different from an agent or a spy. An agent or a spy uh, knows what they're doing, and they will keep the secret. An asset is, you could say, as I said before, a useful idiot, someone who's been either flattered and conned into doing something that will hurt their nation of origin, or it's somebody who perhaps has been blackmailed, has been compromised, or perhaps somebody who, like Trump, has been given hundreds of millions of dollars by Russian oligarchs for his failed business empire. You know, at the time, the Trump organization was getting all this Russian money. They, they were at a point before he was in office that Trump couldn't get a bank loan anywhere. And I do mean nowhere. So the Russian oligarchs came to his aid. And they overpaid for, you know, luxury buildings, luxury condos, whatever, and, you know, basically what we need to really see what happened in the Trump administration is a team of the best forensic accountants to determine if money laundering happened on Trump's watch and also determine if Trump has been basically an asset for Russian interest to money launder for decades. It looks like it perhaps is, but again... Forensic accountants are the people that would get that information. Um, a little more tea here. So once again, 
you have someone like Donald Trump who needed an infusion of cash, <clears throat> who likes to live in extreme luxury, okay? Loves to, Trump wants to live in extreme luxury. He had gone broke multiple times. Uh, he had gone bankrupt multiple times. Even to show The Apprentice, uh, people were shocked because there were uh, people that had been on the show that came forward and said, you know, on TV it looked like this really luxurious set, but the furniture itself was falling apart. All right? It was all a con. So Trump needed money. Do you really think, I'm just saying what if, do you really think somebody like Donald Trump with his psychological profile, with his past history, do you really think he would have turned down Russian money with strings attached? I don't think he would. And once he was in the White House, what do you think the Russians would have done if he had decided, no, I'm not going to help you anymore? You know, he wants to keep that money flowing. So for people that are the most obvious of political whores, being an asset, you know, again, is this is somebody who's basically going to do the, the uh, bidding of an enemy state against their own nation um, for a variety of reasons. Sometimes they realize what they're doing, sometimes they don't. Okay, but these days we're seeing Trump himself call out Putin as a genius and brilliant. And so Trump has not once, not once, um, called out Russia for illegally invading Ukraine. In fact, I don't think any member of the Trump organization or his lawyers has done so either, even though the whole world can see what's going on. Okay? This piece, again, it was written by David Smith in Washington uh, from The Guardian. And, you know, one of the subtitles is Donald Trump's election win. Donald Trump's election win in 2016 was welcomed in Moscow. Goes on to say, quote, the KGB played the game as if they were immensely impressed by his personality. And that is according to Yuri Shvets, which is a key source for a new book, they told The Guardian. So according to The Guardian, Donald Trump was, and I'm reading straight from the article, quote, Donald Trump was cultivated as a Russian asset for over 40 years and proved so willing. Let me start over. Sorry about that, folks. Um, this piece written January 29th, published January 29th, 2021 by The Guardian. The author is David Smith, says the following, quote, Donald Trump was cultivated as a Russian asset over 40 years and proved so willing to parrot anti-Western propaganda that there were celebrations in Moscow, a former KGB spy has told The Guardian. Yuri Shvets, posted to Washington by the Soviet Union in the 1980s, compares the former U.S. president to the Cambridge Five, the British spy ring that passed secrets to Moscow during the Second World War and early Cold War, end quote. Now, Schwetz is now 67, but he has proven to be a key source for, an, for a book that was published by journalist Craig Unger called American Compromat. And Compromat speaks, it's a term used by the Russians that speaks to um, somebody who's being used and blackmailed. Now, Unger has other books that he's written, including House of Trump, House of Putin. 
Um, the book also looked delved into Trump's relationship um, with, with proven pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Okay. Now, Schwetz was quoted in this article said, saying the following, quote, this is an example where people were recruited when they were just students and then they rose to important positions. Something like that was happening with Trump, end quote. Now, Schwetz himself was in the KGB. He was a major. And his cover job uh, back in the 80s was as a correspondent in Washington for the Russian news agency TASS. He moved to the U.S. permanently in 93 and it ultimately became an American citizen. Now Schwetz works as a corporate security investigator and a partner of Alexander Litvinenko, who was, as you recall, Litvinenko was assassinated in London in 2006, and it was Putin that ordered his assassination. The author of this book, um, Craig Unger, goes into how Trump um, first, how Trump got the Russians' attention all the way back in 1977 when he married his first wife, Ivana, and she was a Czech model. From that point on, Trump, Trump became, I'm sure one of many, but he became the target of a spying operation that was overseen by Czechoslovakia's intelligence service that was cooperating with the KGB. Kind of makes me wonder about Ivana now, doesn't it? I, I don't, she may have known, she may not have, who knows. Uh, that was 77. Three years later, in 1980, Trump opened his first big you know, property development, which was the Grand Hyatt New York Hotel. And that was the one near Grand Central Station. Uh, to celebrate and watch the grand opening, Trump bought 200 television sets for the hotel from a man named Simon Kislin, who was a Soviet uh, immigrant, um, who, and this Kislin guy, apparently co-owned um, a company called Joy Lude Electronics, which was on Fifth Avenue. Now, according to Schwetz, Joy Lude, the Joy Lude Electronics Company, get this, was controlled by the KGB. And Kislin was uh, considered a spotter agent. So a spotter, kind of like a bird dog. In other words, he's the guy that identified Trump as a possible asset. Now, Kislin, at the time this article was written, denied that he had a relationship with the KGB. So then they move fast forward to 1987. Trump and Ivana visit Moscow and St. Petersburg. Um, according to Schwetz, who again was a KGB agent, um, Schwetz said that Trump was, um, let's see now, was fed a, a diet of KGB talking points, and he was flattered and feted by the KGB. In fact, according to Schwetz, it was the KGB that suggested the idea that Trump should go into politics. So, according to Schwetz, to quote, Quote, for the KGB, it was a charm offensive. They had collected a lot of information on his personality, so they knew who he was personally. The feeling was that he was extremely vulnerable intellectually and psychologically, and he was prone to flattery. This is what they exploited. They played the game as if they were immensely impressed by his personality and believed this is the guy who should be the president of the United States one day. 
It is people like him who could change the world. They fed him these so-called active measures sound bites, and it happened. So it was a big achievement for the KGB active measures at the time. Pretty damning. So that was in 87. After Trump and Ivana returned to the United States, shortly after that, he began looking, uh, looking into running for the Republican nomination for president. And he held a campaign rally in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Then on September 1st, Trump took out a full-page advert, according to APNews.com. It was in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the Boston Globe. The headline read, quote, there's nothing wrong with Americans' foreign defense policy that a little backbone can't cure, end quote. Now, the ad uh, included what this writer considers some, quote, highly unorthodox opinions, according to the Washington Post, uh, regarding Reagan's Cold War America. Um, he had also accused, al- uh, J- accused Japan, which is an ally, of exploiting the U.S. And he had also um, demonstrated some skepticism regarding the U.S. Uh, participation in NATO. And basically, this ad looked like an open letter. And it looked like an open letter to the American people quote, on why America should stop paying to defend countries that can afford to defend themselves, end quote. And that particular ad, according to this article, caused jubilation in Russia. Uh, a few days after that ad surfaced, Shvet returned home. He was at KGB headquarters, uh, the first chief directorate in Yasinevo. He received a cable celebrating the ad as a successful active measure executed by a new KGB asset. According to Schwetz, quote, it was unprecedented. I, I am pretty well familiar with KGB active measures starting in the early 70s and 80s, and then afterwards with Russia active measures. And I haven't heard anything like that or anything similar until Trump became the president of this country because it was just silly. It was hard to believe that somebody would publish it under his name and that, and that it will impress real serious people in the West, but it did, and finally this guy became the president, end quote. Okay. So, once again, at the end of this article in The Guardian, again, this article's just, what, a year old, to quote Unger, quote, um, when he talks about, so Unger, the author of this new book, um, Craig Unger is also a former contributing editor for Vanity Fair, uh, gave his opinion of Trump. He said, quote, he was an asset. It was not this grand ingenious plan that we're going to develop this guy and 40 years later he'll be president. At the time it started, which was around 1980, the Russians were trying to recruit like crazy and going after dozens and dozens of people. Trump was the perfect target in a lot of ways. His vanity, narcissism made him a natural target to recruit. He was cultivated over a 40-year period right up through his election, end quote. Now, when you talk about that way, you have to realize that um, Trump was too vulnerable to be president, too psychologically unstable, too intellectually deficient, and let's face it, My personal opinion, if Donald Trump had to choose between wealth, more wealth, and 
being loyal to the United States, I have no doubt he'd pick more wealth, period. He's addicted to it. So there is also a new report that came out in 2021. It has evidence that Trump was a Russian asset. Um, and this was in, let's see, from Slate, written by William Sailtan. Um, and so thanks to the U.S. intelligence community's assessment of the 2020 election at dni.gov, um, there's new evidence that, yes, confirms that Trump was a Russian asset. The report was drafted by the CIA, the FBI, and multiple other intelligence agencies. It was released in unclassified form um, in March of 21. And it, but it was presented in classified form on January 7th of 21. So this report was, quote, compiled, written, and edited during Trump's administration. Um, quote, it destroys his lies about the election and it exposes him as a Russian asset, end quote. Uh, according to this, and I'm reading straight from it, quote, the report debunks conspiracy theories promoted by Trump and his lawyers that hackers in other countries robbed them of victory, uh, end quote. Um, the document goes on to say, quote, we have no indications that any foreign actor attempted to interfere in the 2020 U.S. elections by altering any technical aspect of the voting process, including ballot casting, vote tabulation, or reporting results, end quote. And that's directly from the document. There was also a separate analysis released by the Department of Justice that reached the same conclusion. Um, and you can find that at www.justice.gov. The, um, yeah. the IC report added that evidence of such operations that they existed would have shown up in U.S. surveillance or in post-election audits of electronic results and paper backups, end quote. Um, so once again, we're going to go into this more at another time because we're going to run out of time, unfortunately. Um, but during the campaign, <clears throat> you know, Trump and his national security idiots and his morally compromised allies in Congress <clears throat> claimed that China was meddling in the election to help Joe Biden. Um, they even claimed that China's interference was, quote, more dangerous than Russia's. That's according to the Washington Post. And this report shreds those allegations totally. To quote, the report says, China, quote, did not deploy influence efforts intending, intended to change the outcomes of the U.S. presidential election, end quote. That's according to the assessment. Um, and the report leaves no doubt. In 2020, as well as in 2016, quote, President Putin authorized and a range of Russian government organizations conducted influence operations to help Trump and hurt his Democratic opponents, end quote. For example, quote, shortly after the 2018 midterm elections, Russian intelligence cyber actors attempted to hack organizations primarily affiliated with the Democratic Party, end quote. Okay. Then in 2019, um, uh, the the Russian's military intelligence service, known as the GRU, quote, conducted a phishing, spelled P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, conducted a phishing campaign against subsidiaries of Burisma Holdings, likely in an attempt to gather information related to President Biden's family, end quote. 
Um, so it goes on and on and on. We we will talk about this in another another program. This report goes on to say that how Trump also helped Putin discredit American democracy. And that was really a major goal of Putin. And if you notice the GOP, including our jackass of the week, Senator Mike Lee, they're almost in lockstep saying that the United States is not a democracy, it's a republic. And they're banking on the fact that Americans don't know much about civics anymore. A republic is a type of democracy, but it's a representative democracy where we elect representatives as opposed to a direct democracy. But, you know, once again, the Republican Party is attacking the very idea of democracy. Mike Lee went on record tweeting that democracy somehow hurts freedom, which, you know, it's insane. So apparently Trump did help Putin discredit American democracy. Uh, To quote the report, quote, throughout the election, Russia's online influence actors sought to amplify mistrust in the electoral process by denigrating mail-in ballots, highlighting alleged irregularities, and accusing the Democratic Party of voter fraud, end quote. Okay? This is something that must be pursued. Absolutely must be. And again, an asset, according to intelligence jargon, isn't the same as an agent, okay? Agents are people who, they know what they're doing, they are selling or giving their country secrets to another foreign intelligence agency. Um, But assets, they're more like useful idiots, but sometimes they're people that, yeah, they'll sell influence, okay? Now, the definitive source of Trump's collusion comes from the Center for American Progress, and it's known as the Moscow Project. We won't be able to get to Chapter 1 today. We will do so next week, and we'll do a chapter every week. But let me tell you something about the Moscow Project, Uh, and I'm reading straight from this. Quote, the Moscow Project is an initiative of the Center for American Progress Action Fund dedicated to analyzing the facts behind Trump's collusion with Russia and communicating the findings to the public. The Moscow Project's team employs a multidisciplinary approach towards its work, leveraging a unique combination of experience and expertise gained on Capitol Hill at the State Department and in private industry to examine this complex and sprawling series of events stretching back decades. Okay? And it does. Chapter 1 is bailed out by Russia. It covers um, 1987 to 2014. But it goes on, all right? And it deals with Russian oligarchs as well. Keep in mind, in Russia... Nobody does business in Russia without Putin's permission. That includes the oligarchs. So if you're dealing with the oligarchs and doing their bidding, you're doing Putin's bidding. Let's get a little real here. Oh, excuse me. All right, so we're going to deal with the Moscow project later. There are some that will claim that Trump can do business with whomever, and he can. But let's face it. Once he ran, once he went into politics, his conflict of interest should have been front and center. Okay. Instead, we received four years of an abuser who, yes, according to multiple sources, compromised our national security. Period. 
and Trump couldn't have couldn't have gotten away with that without help from the entire GOP. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> so now, a little conclusion here, okay? The Biden administration, along with fellow Democrats and opposition Republicans, they're pushing sanctions as the only, the sole solution to Vladimir Putin's latest war crimes, this time against the people of Ukraine. Before, it was the people of Syria under the brutal dictatorship of Assad. There were the people in Crimea and so on. Excuse me. <coughs> now, speaking practically as a wholesale chorus, these politicians of both parties and foreign policy experts are pushing appeasement as an accompanying feature to economic sanctions, claiming this formula is the only option to stop Putin. It is not. These politicians claim that the other glaring option, namely a full-scale attack on Russian forces invading Ukraine, would trigger World War III. They're wrong. They're wrong because once Putin invaded Ukraine, he committed an act of war that is illegal according to international law. Ukraine hadn't provoked Russia in any way. Putin, the Russian dictator, wrongfully claims that once Ukraine requested, just requested, entry into NATO as a very act of requesting entry was an act of war against Russia. Putin's wrong. In fact, Vladimir Putin's savage, unprovoked war against Ukraine merely proves Zelensky's point, namely that Russia under Putin cannot be trusted, and Ukraine needed real allies in order to deter the very attacks they are now suffering. Excuse me. So, what's the EU's response? A tepid list of sanctions, economic sanctions, with loopholes so large, like I said before, you could drive an 18-wheeler through them. Now, the EU proudly showed off how they seized the yacht of a Russian oligarch close to Putin as evidence of their collective resolve. To borrow a cliche, that's a little more than placing a Band-Aid on a cancer. The EU and U.S. diplomats wrongfully believe that avoiding an actual military fight will somehow miraculously appease Putin enough to pull back. It won't. Excuse me. You don't have to look any further than Putin's own track record to see that his word is worthless. Putin attacked in Syria as people of Syria rebelled against the bloody crime of Assad. To put bluntly, Vladimir Putin is a violent, oppressive, cowardly dictator. A policy of appeasement in order to gain an alleged peace isn't any sort of legitimate peace. It's unilateral surrender. It's using the people of Ukraine as a sacrificial cannon. I'm sorry. It's using the people of Ukraine as sacrificial cannon fodder meant to satisfy Putin's thirst for blood and power. Now, the EU is right to be nervous regarding Putin's nuclear threats, both verbal and real, as we witness the shelling of nuclear power plants in Ukraine. Unfortunately, the only way to stop a Hitler wannabe like Putin is to stop him with overwhelming force. There's no other way. Vladimir Putin is a liar, a thief, a murderer, and a coward. He doesn't want peace. 
He wants to split the he wants to split the world with his silent partner, in my opinion, the Chinese dictator. And the only way to stop more genocide, which is coming, is to fight with Ukraine against the Russian dictator. That's it. NATO, as well as the United States, need to ditch being Neville Chamberlain cowardly clones and embrace the Winston Churchill-type model. Fighting him anywhere. They're so frightened it's going to be a nuclear disaster. It already is. It already is. Appeasement won't stop Vladimir Putin. I suspect that he would probably even send a small nuke like a bunker buster at, a, at some target, probably a civilian target, to intimidate everybody to intimidate them into submission. So the question to the West is this. Are your worthless, cowardly skins worth being a slave to Putin? Because that, that's your choice. You appease, and eventually he's going to come marching in, and he will enslave anybody that gets in his way. Or you can fight and stop him. But as for these asinine ideas that if we actually intervene militarily, it'll be the beginning of World War III, Mr. Blinken, you're too late. World War III's already begun. It began the day that Vladimir Putin fired the first shot in Ukraine. So that's our big report. Now, our jackass of the week report. This week, the honored Bray, because jackass is Bray, is Republican Senator Mike Lee. And according to Business Insider, Mike Lee said that, quote, rank democracy is bad for America. Okay? He said it. Mike Lee went on he, in his Twitter account and argued that the U.S. is, quote, not a democracy. He said it. Lee tweeted, quote, we're not a democracy. Democracy isn't the objective. Liberty, peace, and prosperity are. We want the human condition to flourish. Ranked democracy can thwart that, end quote. Lee went on to tweet, quote, the word democracy appears nowhere in the Constitution, perhaps because our form of democracy is not a democracy. It's a constitutional republic. To me, it matters. It should matter to anyone who worries about the excessive accumulation of power in the hands of the few, end quote. Okay, so... Mike Lee comes from a political family. I looked up his bio. His father worked in the Justice Department during the Reagan administration. Mike Lee himself clerked for Justice Samuel Alito when Alito was a federal judge. He knows better. To claim that democracy somehow will result in excessive accumulation of power in the hands of the few, that's not just a lie. It's an incredibly stupid lie. Democracy means that decisions, decisions are shared with a, a majority, not with a few. But once again, this is what Mike Lee has been doing. And, you know, this is something that we, ha- we have to address, okay? Senators like Mike Lee 
are proving that they are enemies of democracy, that they despise. And in fact, a sizable part of the GOP hates democracy. Well, if they feel that way, they shouldn't be U.S. senators. They swore an oath. And while the word democracy doesn't appear in the Constitution allegedly, there's other words that do appear. Life, liberty, and... uh, Okay, sorry folks, I got a little stuck there. There's a lot of other words, including look at the First Amendment. There's voting rights. What Senator Lee, along with a sizable chunk of the Trump GOP, are saying is that they want to be oligarchs. They want to dictate to the rest of us mutts. And how dare those of us that are not wealthy, that are not senators, how dare us want our rights. But this is what Senator Lee is saying. And, you know, once again, this is insanity. So this um, Insider article quoted Ruth Ben-Ghiat, who is a historian and expert on authoritarianism at New York University. And Ben-Ghiat said in response to Lee, quote, authoritarianism in a nutshell. Same word said from Mussolini to Orban. GOP has judged the time right to come out and say it. Ben-Ghiat went on to say, quote, the escalation of GOP and White House rhetoric about protesters being a mob and them being too dangerous to rule is very serious, okay, end quote. And Ben-Ghiat also warned that this type of talk that's coming like from people like Senator Lee, quote, often precedes authoritarian government actions, okay. Um, Once again, there's people like Mike Lee that, one, probably, if he feels that way, he shouldn't be a U.S. senator. Okay? He swore allegiance to the Constitution. And while the word democracy may or may not appear in the document, there's a lot of other rights that people enjoy that come from a democracy. And if Mr. Lee really believes what he's saying, then... um, He's violated his oath of office. So this is what's happening. Um, We're going to be talking about Mike Lee more, but in the final words, I would just tell our jackass of the week, Senator Mike Lee, bray on, Senator Lee, bray on. And he used to talk a little Yiddish at Senator Lee, get cockin' effem yum. I told him to go take a flying shit in the ocean, and hopefully he'll drown there too. Okay, that's it. I, I I couldn't resist. Anyway, with that, I say um, next week we're going to be talking more about Ukraine, I'm sure. It's hard to know what's happening because so much is happening on the ground. So much is changing, not day by day, but almost by the hour. Um, and I do apologize, apologize if this report was a bit choppy because I had to change things suddenly because things had already changed. We will deal with Chapter 1 of the Moscow Report, and we will continue to talk about the fact that, yes, to borrow a phrase, you know, that, yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Yes, Virginia, it appears that Donald J. Trump was a Russian asset, The question, and, and it's looking like he's a traitor. 
So we're going to continue to look in that. We're, we're going to talk about it. We're going to do a chapter from the Moscow report every week. I also encourage you to check out the environmental justice report, which airs on Thursdays every other Thursday. You can also check out any writing that I have at BuzzFlash. And, um, you know, once again, we're going to continue to mock and basically dox, if you will, or out traitors in our midst, people like Senator Mike Lee and Donald Trump. And with that, I say good night and God bless us. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.